Hello and welcome to episode 126 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stan, you know my favorite part of this episode is going to be is the fact that you messed up the very first sentence that bodes well. You, you messed it up before before that retake. Right. The, didn't hear the it. I heard it. The listeners won't know. It. No, they won't. Oh, I know. It's like when you're on stage, you're performing a play, and you mess up a line. You're supposed to just act through it because yeah. the audience doesn't know, but now they know. You know, now it's know. it's like jazz. You're supposed to when you hit the wrong note, you're supposed to hit the wrong note again, and then it's just like it's jazz. Yeah, Shane, that's, don't that's, you j- 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 jazz? Yeah, this mm-hmm. the show. The show is definitely my favorite. My favorite weekly jazz session with y'all. We just, is that Dave I hear? We just jam it out. The jazz father? <laughs> the jazz father. That's me. I'm, I'm here. I just came fresh back from the countryside. I was camping this weekend. I got that camp stink on me still. Yeah. <laughs> you know you that. Sm- you, smell like, you smell like a smoked sausage? I, you know, I usually smell like a smoked sausage. Now I smell like a smoked sausage and uh, some kind of like not great beer. <laughs> Where did you camp? I camped at a place called Turkey Run state park in indiana and you want to know what the state park was magical it was your, some of the best hiking nice dude it was amazing hiking we hiked like up a river through some sandstone canyons it was really unbelievable i was not expecting it to be so high great it was some terrifying like i had to <laughs> take my five-year-old down a muddy ladder next to a chasm to make to make it through Whoa. the trail that we were on but i don't frequently hike near chasms it was a chasm. Yeah. Chasm is a bad magic card. I don't know if you guys remember that card, but it's not a good one. I also noticed in your photos that you were wearing shorts. Uh, yes. No, 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 I no, was no, wearing no, shorts. No. I can't believe that that was caught on film and that I, it, I didn't just appear like a, the shorts vampire that I am. <laughs> <laughs> on this week's episode, we try to fill that awkward scheduling lull that occurs when we have to record a show right before spoilers start for a new set. So instead, we're going to kick off today with a historic breakdown reacting to the Thassa's Oracle ban, and then we're going to check on some historic results from the Insights 5K Invitational, which was a two-format event, also spanning standard. We're only covering historic. Then we're going to check into the Modern Horizons amuse-bouche that we got last week from Blake and company of Wizards of the Coast employ. We're going to talk about 10 new and old cards that were shared last Thursday. And finally, we're going to have time to do a wind down with a classic Q&A. We got a bunch of great cues. We're going to try to provide some good A's. What personal secrets and revelations will emerge this time? Stay tuned to find out. I have literally not looked at a single question that you put in these notes. I'm going to, for the first time, shoot from the hip. That's great because I haven't looked at a single note that's within these notes this week. So I can't wait to just come in here and yeah, do the same. Let's roll it. What's a Thassa's Oracle? Tell me. You know what I'm going to do first is housekeep. Oh, we do that. That's right. And then I'll read the Oracle text on Thassa's Oracle. Shout out to the newest patron to join the Dive Down Nation, Martin O. Thank you so much and welcome. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. Gets you into the super secret Slack channel, gets you into our internal tournaments run by our fabulous T.O. Bob. 
Sometimes Ben helps out. Sometimes Oralox helps out. We got a sweet team of tournament organizers. Sometimes I frantically make judge calls in the Slack in the middle of games, and Jack is always there to make judge calls for us. Look at our little community, and you can join it too. Check it out, patreon.com slash thedivedown. You can also support the show while playing Digital Magic with a Mana Trader subscription. Our new coupon code is thedivedown2021. It's all one word. And the 2021 is numerical. So don't spell out 2021. That's long. Keep it short. Get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards with coupon code thedivedown2021 on Mana Traders. Let's jump into the breakdown. Let's talk about the worst kept secret of last week, the abandoned restricted announcement. There was a point where we didn't think it was going to happen. It was like 4.30 central. People were refreshing every 10 minutes. Okay, so let's explain why we know this happens, right? So what the way this works is the formatting for the URL that goes to these pages is 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 the same every time. And so if you if you essentially just plug in every day <laughs> that's in the calendar year into a URL, uh, eventually a page might show up like that. There's like this this page is not able to be accessed type thing and then you know something will happen you get a different kind of error you get a permissions error instead of a this page does not exist error is what happens yes thank you dave so uh and so what you do is every day you go through every day of the year in your browser you just type them in i'll show us what people do maybe this is what mtg bands one should do so really quick when we talk about a url are you referring to the uniform resource locator Mm -hmm. on a server on a web server yeah the earl Yeah. yeah okay all right, so some uh, someone who had a lot of time in their hands was testing out URLs. They found out that there was one that was scheduled for May 19th. There was no announcement from Wizards. And then 10 a.m. rolled around. The article wasn't launched. The rumor mill spread. What could it be? People thought it might be Tainted Pact. People thought it might be Thassa's Oracle. Then someone shows up in Slack and says it's Manamorphose. That gave me a panic attack. Finally, 4, 5 p.m. Central Time happens. Article goes live. It's a paragraph long. Thassa's Oracle banned in historic due to the power level and recent performance of the Tainted Pact combo control deck. I'll just read what they wrote. It was so short. While Thassa's Oracle is a powerful card that has created combo decks across multiple formats, until recently, it wasn't a force to be reckoned with in historic. However, with the recent printing of Tainted Pact and the fine-tuning of that archetype, We've seen the rise of the two-card combo in Historic to the point that half the field in the past league weekend utilized the combo due to the power of the two-card combination and because we expect that Thassa's Oracle is likely to cause problems down the road as Historic continues to add new cards, Thassa's Oracle is banned in Historic. Cool. Boom. Simple. (laughs) We we did it. We did it. Initial reactions. I'm, I'm glad I didn't craft this deck. That's what, even though it was only going to cost me five rares to make this deck from all the draft chaff that I have, um, I'm glad I didn't do it. So we have explained this deck, right, in the past, like how Thassa's Oracle and Tainted Pack work together. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, th- I thought so. Just everything blends together, you know? Just so everybody remembers, it's a it's an kind of I-win combination because of factors. <laughs> <laughs> that don't matter anymore it's a two-card combo yeah that's a good point it doesn't matter anymore blue blue black control shellish sometimes grixis that had a two-card win combo that required you to run the singleton cards in your deck for the most part but there's so many good cards in historic that you could easily fill a deck up with enough control elements to get to your combo and win it was basically splinter twin right where you couldn't exactly tap out against them and then they just sort of win 
more or less at instant speed. Not so instant speed that you can do it on someone else's turn, but in you could win in response to someone doing something to you know responding to a Thassa's Oracle trigger, for example. Yeah, and of course, there's very few ways to respond to a trigger. Yeah, so that just, was the thing that was hard. This, but you could just counter tainted path. That's about it. The last time I played against this deck, which was like Thursday of last week, I want to say. I played against them with Phoenix. Phoenix has a bunch of counter spells and post board, and I had to have three counter spells to be able to get through the turn where they cast both Thassa's Oracle and Tainted Pact because of the way that things worked out. I had to try to counter something with Mystical Dispute and Negate, and finally Spell Pierce before they lost. Nice. All right. First question that, of course, I feel like we have to talk about, right, is like, was do you think that this deck was deserving of a ban or this card was deserving of a ban in order to nerf this deck and this strategy? I think it makes sense, especially citing the actual reason they explained, which was Tassus Oracle made powerful combos in other formats. I think they're referring there to Pioneer with Inverter of Truth. Whether or not inverters are going to come to historic is up in the air, but I think they kind of saw the writing on the wall that this alternate win condition is just too easy in this format. And a lot of formats. So let's just protect ourselves. Let's get rid of this card, the actual payoff card, and see if Tainted Pact can maybe be a fun enabler for other stuff. But was this deck too good? It was too annoying. That's for sure. It was definitely too annoying. Uh, I didn't run into it frequently. I think I had around a 50% win record when I did play against it. Um, Stan, it sounded like you didn't mind playing against it. So I just stuck to Rogues in Historic, which is a Con- tempo control deck too so the way shane mentioned all you need to do is counter that tainted pact i was able to do that a lot that it for me it just led to a lot of interesting games win lose your draw where it's just like they went a long time you had to really make thoughtful decisions about what you're going to spend your resources on and so yeah i kind of liked playing against it and i felt like rogues was a decent matchup too i mean this is the kind of deck that i think was indicating that i had a fairly high win percentage right? Like high fifties. I think the kind of the last sort of large data set we saw that had this deck in it. And that was an outlier from other decks that we've seen. So I think that's, that's an outlier that Watsi doesn't really like. And then two, like you, where I think we're getting at Dave, right? Is like this combo was really annoying on arena. Like not only the fact that it was a fairly easy combo to get together as far as it looked like, but also the way that it actually executed itself on arena was super tedious and annoying. Like it was actually better to let yourself go to a timeout because then like the, the stack cleared itself automatically instead of you having to like click, what was it? Okay. Or something like that over and over and over again. Yeah. That's, that doesn't make any sense, but infinite combos or massive clicky combos rarely make sense in a digital form. And so they're always going to be kind of problematic. Yeah. I totally had people who presented the combo Thassa's Oracle trigger on the stack. They cast Tainted Pact and just sit there and click good game. And then... I mean, it is. It's good game. What am I supposed to do? (laughs) You concede. I concede. It's funny. Like, the last, like, three or four times I played against this deck, I actually didn't... They never... They didn't win. Like, they never went off with Pact Oracle. Like, they would cast Tainted Pact, I think, for, like, value. Like, they were just like, I'm in a bad space, bad spot. I've got to, like, Tainted Pact to get some piece of removal or something like that to buy myself a turn. And once I realized that unless I'm seeing that combo on the stack, like in that sense, it's just like, yeah, do what you want. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not planning on losing unless you make me lose. So 
Go for it. Did you get a sense of what this deck was doing to the format, considering how popular it was in apparent competitive play? Half the field in this one tournament was running it. From what I've gathered, the other half was mostly on control to combat this. Yeah, for a pretty you know, like a decent decent job of doing so. I think I, the, the data that I was looking at, I think was maybe like 54, 46, like in control's favor or something like that. So yeah. you cannot be dirtling. So like a deck like Is It Phoenix or a deck, I think even probably like Silizing a Company, doesn't have much game against this because it's not executing what it's, what it's doing fast enough. Like I think the win, <laughs> the matchup percentages were not good for company. I believe company very, very much. Uh, although company has like tax effects, which can sometimes sometimes help against this deck wanting to do stuff. Phoenix is okay. I think again, I mean, I think any deck that could play counter spells plausibly was had a reasonable time against this deck because then they had to stack up counter spells and then you had to stack up counter spells and so you would go back and forth. But I do think that it kind of warped the top of the metagame a little bit to be around decks that could play counters because there is no other way to, to interact with it other than speed. And honestly, the speed wasn't always there, right? So, you know, like Gruel wins fast, but it doesn't always win by turn four. And this combo can pretty frequently did go off by turn four. Yeah, and it could like, even if it didn't, it, it was so many removal spells and counter spells and interactive spells to, to control the board or control what the, a win con, like maybe like a, an Ember Cleave or something like that, right? Where you maybe get that turn four kill. Um, then they're they're removing the creature that the Ember Cleave is being cast on, or they're you know countering the the Ember Cleave. So it's a kind of deck that didn't need to win on turn four, but certainly could when there wasn't a, a deck that was playing interaction against it. And so it was just a a pretty good predator, I think, against a lot of strategies that uh, were out there. Both weirdly, both aggressive decks and like slower creature decks that maybe had some kind of uh, stack interaction or taxing interaction, like you said, Dave. What's also impressive is how versatile the deck could be, too. You know, you could build it to be tuned for a creature metagame. You can build it full of hand disruption and counter magic for a controlling field. And I think that also contributed to some of its problems is that as long as you have this really powerful two-card combo, even if you're restricted by playing singleton, you can still find enough redundancy across a varied curve to actually execute a plan that can anticipate what your opponents are doing. So, okay, so Tainted Pact is still around. You can still functionally mill your whole library for two mana at instant speed which means there is another potential combo payoff, and that's four mana Jace, Wielder of Mysteries. What do you guys think about a six mana combo? Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, I mean, it's still like, you can still do it on turn four, right? Where like you can, mm-hmm. if you cl- if you clear out your library and then Jace on turn four, then. Not your whole library. You do have to be careful. Yeah, you can't clear out your whole library. Well, most of it. Yeah, much mo- of it. Much of it. Yeah, I mean, because what what does what does Jace do? Jace just thought scours you, right? So it's like three cards. Yeah, but he has yeah. a passive, which is Lab Maniac. Yeah, that's not, that's what I was getting at. It's right is that you, if you leave like three cards left, and then you Jace and and thought scour yourself, then you win. Right. Yep. Okay. Yep. You just can't get rid of your whole library because you have to be able to cast the Jace without dying. That's all. That's the only thing worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's it's definitely harder, I think, to pull off because. What do you do? Yeah, you can still run two Jaces. You still run two Tainted Packs, and kind of there you there you are. Um, you can also play Jace for value more easily than Thassa. The thing I, I can't really wrap my head around is whether or not Jace is easier or harder to interact with. Does it make the combo more vulnerable to interaction 
Well, certainly because it's not it's not like a, a trigger like Thassa's Oracle is. So like if you if you let's say let's say you, you mm. play a Jace and what is it, a plus to do the thought scour or something like that? And then like with with that on the stack and you kill Jace, then his passive no longer applies and the person just decks themselves, right? So if you have planeswalker removal, then you're good to go. Right. Unlike that annoying part of Thassa's Oracle, which is like Thassa's Oracle can die. And, and that <laughs> don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. So it is easier just because it's not a, yeah, exactly. It's not a trigger, which is like impossible to interact with. Sure. But the tools to kill Jace at instant speed are what? Assassin's Trophy. Uh, Fry. Um, uh, Veraska's Contempt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there there are cards that people run that that are instant speed planeswalker kill. Not to mention counter spells just still work better. Although they do have force, uh, not force negation, packed negation in this deck. So you have to kind of watch out for that sometimes too. Yeah. Yeah murderous rider people are telling us right now vanishing verse is another one that gets rid of this card that people run so i mean fundamentally it's it's going to be worse enough that like i think we're already seeing the trends that there's very few people are even trying to play it maybe that will turn as people are like i'm I'm testing and it's still pretty good like it's maybe lost five percent which makes it still like a 55 percent deck or something like that right but i think the as we'll talk about in this uh, esports 5k his invitational i think we'll see what what people are doing in the meta right now and it does not include testing out jace uh combo yeah i mean i think th- bottom line this deck was annoying to play against it was reminiscent of a combo that people hated and that probably killed a different format essentially. Yeah. And so they were just like, we are getting this out of here before it goes on too long. And instead of getting rid of the enabler, we're going to get rid of the win con this time, like they did in historic. So, or in a pioneer. So it is interesting also to me that it took maybe a month or so since Strix Haven came out for them to actually ban something though. They said less. Yeah. I mean, they did say they were going to ban aggressively, and it for a while it looked like, with the exception of Tainted Pack, the impact of Strixhaven wasn't so disruptive to the format that it made it unhealthy in any way. It changed it up, of course, but it didn't kill it. And I think people are, in a lot of ways, still enjoying a lot of the decks that were uh, enabled because of Strixhaven. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really important thing to mention, right? Is like, Watsy acting fast here is really good for the near-term health of this format because i think until people really latched on to this combo deck most of the decks we were seeing in terms of the largest amount of data we had were like 46 to 54 percent which is like a really good metagame win rate of like 10 12 decks like you have that many decks with pretty middling win rates and strengths and weaknesses against each other and that's a metagame that people are going to really enjoy but then when you get a deck especially a deck that functions like the pack combo did on arena and people are really going to be turned off pretty quickly and then when you see the top level of players bringing this type of deck half the field bringing it then you know that we need to act we need to act fast no one's going to be upset by losing this that badly and we're going to move on and, and have historic keeping an awesome format shane is selling historic who's <laughs> buying hopefully everybody because yeah we already bought in didn't we yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was for science all right so i think we got a good look about how we're feeling about that deck so you mentioned the insight esports 5k yeah post ban yeah, the post ban tier one in quotes, uh, 5k historic invitational. So, so we weren't invited because we're invited to the tier zero invitational. Just so everybody's yeah. clear, we're invited yeah. to the S tier because inv- that's that's the cool <laughs> one, right? The S one, yeah, yeah, S tier, yeah. 
So this is the first big historic event since this banning of Thassa's Oracle. Uh, and I believe this is the culmination of kind of these qualifiers that Insight Esports has been having for the past few weekends. And there were 111 players who made this invitational. And unfortunately for us, it was four rounds of historic, four rounds of standard, then a top eight of historic. So it's not the most revealing thing for us in terms of historic uh, gameplay, but I did want to see what invested players brought to this tournament, how those decks that they brought performed on the day. And so let's first do the metagame breakdown of these 111 players. So is it Phoenix, our top dog at 22.5%. That's a lot of Phoenix. Next up, Jeskai control featuring what's that? What's that one? I don't even know. Is it Kahira? Kahira? Kahira, yeah, sure. So Jeskai Control, 12.6%. Jeskai Turns, a similar yet different deck, 11.7%. That's almost 50% of our meta, okay? I hope you like Is It Colors, maybe even some white. Followed up by that, we've got more white. Selesnia Company, 9.9%. Jun Food, sticking around as people realize it does not suck, uh, 9%. Orzov Auras featuring Loris, 5.4%. Demir Rogues featuring Luris 4.5%, Mono Black Aggro 2.7, and then we have a bunch of two ofs in Gruel Aggro, Golgari Elves, Demir Control, Five Color Niv, and Azorius Control. Those are all that's about 1.8%, and then 12.6% Singletons. I put those in other. So that's our metagame. That's a, almost 50%, like I said. Uh, Jeskai Control, Jeskai Turns, and a ton of Visit Phoenix. Phoenix is back, baby! Yeah, I mean, it was creeping up. I noticed this in the previous uh, Insight tournament, I believe. Is it was maybe the second most played deck on the day. And I think it also had a very good win rate that weekend. I think it was maybe 60% or something like that. And I think people realized that. I think people were playing it this week and saying, hey, this deck is kicking butt. So might as well bring it this weekend. It, that's all I've been playing for the last couple of weeks, to be honest, since I dipped my toes into the teamer and is it prowess uh, waters for a little bit. Um, it's been at least a couple of weeks where I've just been like, every time I open arena, I'm like, what should I play? I've just been enjoying Phoenix. I'm just going to play Phoenix. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. I feel like I need to finish crafting this because I've got most of it. I did switch to the Sprite Dragon version. Finally, Stan. I've been begging you since day one. I did. I did in this most recent sprint. I've, I've switched over to that. Are you liking it? Yeah. I mean, I liked it before. I like it still. I think it's good. But there was a point where you kept saying you didn't, you didn't feel like you needed it. And I kept insisting it's the best two drop you can. It's the best thing you can do on turn two. Where are you now in that spectrum? I mean, I, it, it, it's, it's nice to have another threat. It's nice to have another haste threat. I think it's the worst threat in the deck still, but it's good to have the extra threats. You have a little less burn. As a result, you're not running like lightning strike or any other two mana spells. You're not running, you know, expressive iteration is totally taken over the space of uh, charter course. It's taken over for thrill of possibility, strategic planning, like none of those two mana cards that we spent so much time talking about when we did our initial like breakdown of what is it was going to be in historic are there anymore. It's just Sprite Dragon expressive iteration and it hums expressive iteration is very, very good. Very, very good in every format. It's very, very good in this format, too. Yeah, it's amazing because it doesn't even discard cards, but I guess it finds you <laughs> your faithless looting. You That's the thing. You you find your faithless looting. You got a, your couple of lava axes and you're playing on, on different um, axes like Phoenix is great for some kind of late. Sometimes occasionally you get that early 
plan with Phoenix or you get that late one where you're like grinding out with some other stuff and then you get Phoenix's late in after you get him in the graveyard and go. But Storming Entity is the thing that really makes the deck have that's the perfect companion to Phoenix in my mind because it lets you have a different plan that still rewards you for your spells. And that's the deal. Hmm. So yeah. deck looks good, but let's talk about performance of these decks since we have win rates from the decks across the tournament. Phoenix was a clear winner this weekend, not only in metagame percentage, but in performance across 98 matches, it was 61.25% win rate. That is good. That's a good win rate when there's that many of the same deck in the field going against other decks that are likely prepared for it, knowing that's a it's a force out there. So yeah, if you uh, if you like playing a deck like Phoenix, you're probably going to do fine for a little while until people are majorly text against it. Let's talk about that really briefly. You guys play the most Phoenix. What's the best tech against Phoenix? Is there a good tech against Phoenix? I feel like it, just like it was in modern, it had so many different ways to attack you that like just having a graph digger's cage wasn't enough. Just having like a relic of this wasn't enough. I, I was just gonna say it's a little different than it was in modern because when Phoenix was at its best in modern, uh, thing in the ice was at its best in modern. And so it, it had, you wanted to have matchups where, Either Phoenix was super good or Thing in the Ice was super good because it was wrathing people's or upheavaling people's boards, right? You don't have that in Historic. So what you're doing instead is playing uh, a threat that is somewhat resilient to removal in Stormwing and Phoenix is as a companion to that. And then you have your Crackling Drakes. That's kind of like another way to go if you get there. Yeah. Crackling Drake is just so, so hard to keep from finishing you off. But it's it's very fragile compared to Stormwing Entity because it dies to Fatal Push. But I will I play decks with fatal push. <laughs> I do think though, if thing in the ice was in the format, Phoenix would a hundred percent play four. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's such a huge, it's a huge card and especially with brainstorm, but I think yeah, or would love to love to face down a thing in the ice. It'd be gone. I mean, that deck would be, it's, it's already been waning, but it, with an upheaval effect around that deck would be gone. Good gone, gone. Um, the, the, I guess tech against it, the, the hardest tech against Phoenix and historic, right now i don't think is graveyard hate like graveyard hate is important but you die to like you can get around graveyard hate i yeah, think so many other ways to, to get to get dead well and you just you hard cast your phoenixes yeah. you play a different game you you get patient sometimes you abrade their stuff if they if if it's a graph digger's cage but it's selesnia company that actually i think is the hardest one that i've seen because of archon of amiria and thalia and other taxing effects that slow you down and also um weirdly uh skyclave apparition is both good and bad against phoenix in some ways so it's really all about the timing that mm -hmm. happens there but what do you think stan well i thought you were about to mention narset parter avails like mm, that's Narset's another card too. i yeah. absolutely hate to see when i'm on phoenix yeah and that's you know being i'm sure that's being played in the jeskai control list and the jeskai turns list i'm mm -hmm. looking at the jeskai turns list right now there is no narsets here i'm sort of a little surprised by that guess there's not space for it but narset uh, is no of course a tough deck, card yeah there's no walkers it's just spells um uh, importantly I, I would say i think i read this i'm just parroting it if you play narset and if your opponent's on is a phoenix don't take it down no don't yeah, yeah just, just let leave it sit there just leave <laughs> yeah it. you'll yeah. win without ever activating it yeah i mean wh what you have to do is they have to shock it and hit it with a phoenix like that's what i have to do when i'm in that situation and that slows me down a lot but you definitely do not want to make it easier for me to drop a phoenix from my hand and kill your narset in the air with haste um 
But yeah, Narset is a really good card against it too. So it's cards that limit your ability to cast spells and your ability to draw cards that are the best against Phoenix. And I think kind of always were the best against Phoenix. Graveyard Hate's good, but it's not, it doesn't really help that much. So you shouldn't hard them all to like a rest in peace if you're mm-hmm. playing Phoenix. It's it's fine to put them in your deck, but you don't need to have one in order to win it's the yeah. other cards. All right. Phoenix, 61.25%. The only other deck that had a large number of matches and came close to that was Just Guy Control at 30 and 25 or 55.6%. Uh, Just Guy Control, I think, is an extremely good deck. Uh, it, it seems like it has game against a lot of different types of strategies. It has game against aggro because aggro is not fast enough, typically, to get under it, especially with lightning helix in its, uh, it's in its deck. And just one or two lightning helix just makes the game unwinnable because then they can then they can just start wrathing you or counterspelling you or things like that. And the game is sealed up. But then it also has counterspells against combo decks, against decks that want to resolve just one or two really important spells. I think Jessica Control is frustratingly good because I don't like playing. I don't like playing Control. I don't like playing against Control. And so when Control's good, Control people come out in droves. Uh, yeah, we're I'll- here, and uh, we're gonna draw go. Get used to it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and Jessica turns it was actually sub fifty percent, twenty three and twenty six, or forty six point eight percent. So that's very surprising to me, for one reason, and that is. If you look at the untapped, yeah, the untapped data, data is the best deck. It's insane. So if you look at best of three historic from platinum to mythic, just guy like turns has seventy percent win rate. And like you know, we know that untapped players are typically inflated over the average, but like then like is it Phoenix is like sixty two percent and Slesnia Company is like sixty percent, and this deck is like you know it's it's head and shoulders above the rest right now. So it's the kind of, I don't think this is, you know, this is one tournament. It's 50 matches, 49 matches. So it's not, uh, that's not, there's still tons of statistical anomalies that can be found in, in that sample size. So I wouldn't, you know, make any decisions based on this. If you like Just Guy Turns, keep mashing, keep mashing play because you're probably doing fine with it. And if you don't know, Just Guy Turns is the one that leverages what, like, Lorehold Vecca Machlis or like, yeah, so it's, it? it's Vela Machis. Uh, it's a Velamachus combo deck, basically, that lets you recast Time Warp off of Velamachus and niv Mastery. And it transmogrifies into Velamachus, yeah. right, early off of, like, uh, the the Dwarf Fortress or whatever. Yeah. Dwarven Mind, yeah. Indomitable creativity, yada, yada. It's, so it's essentially a new combo deck. Yeah. That seems yeah. to have snuck in past uh, Thassa's Oracle. Did did we uh did we talk about when Stan and I played some sealed in uh in Strixhaven and I opened up <laughs> a pool against Stan that had two uh Velomachus lore holds go? in it? I did win that that particular matchup, but um that was a weird pool to try to put together with two seven drops. Uh it's a powerful card though. It's big, it has haste, it lets you cast car cast spells. Yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah, definitely a very powerful combo strategy, combo control strategy, which is never a bad thing to try to do if you know how to play a combo control strategy. Slesnia Company up next, pretty sad showing 17 and 22 or 43.6%. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, this is the type of deck that I think can have uh, metagames to feast on and metagames to be beat up on. And here was a situation where it got beat up on. I'm surprised by this just because there was so much Phoenix because it, it feels like a torturous matchup to play as a Phoenix player, but maybe it's not as bad as I 
think it is. The thing that's funny about this matchup that I mentioned is just that idea that um, Skyclave Apparition, when they take one of your Phoenixes or one of your Crackling Drakes, you then you kill their Apparition, you get a 4-4 back. And that yeah. often is enough to just be able to attack another board. So there is some kind of weird weird stuff going on there where Skyclave is like not as good as sometimes I feel like. But yeah, it's a strong deck. Every time I play this deck, I feel like I want to craft it, but maybe I'll hold off. Don't do it. Stan, what's Don't your overall it. thoughts on Slezzy and Company? You've you crafted it, but it's not your it's not your favorite thing. It's the first time I've truly regretted crafting something on Arena because no kidding, it was wow. crushing me. I I do think it's great against Phoenix, and I think it's actually very good against Rogues. Um, and I was just like, well, this deck seems unbeatable, and then I realized it was bad against everything else, and I just kept losing to Control. Kept losing. It's good against Gruel, but I think Gruel's play rate is way down. Yeah. All right, next up, Jun Food, very Jundy, 22 and 21, or 51.4%. And then we have kind of what I was getting at before. These other decks like Mono Black Aggro and Demir Rogues and Orzov Auras are all like in the 48 to 53% range. They're not kind of getting too far ahead of the pack, but they're these are all options if you like playing them, if you don't have stuff to craft. Uh, yeah, just keep playing these. You're going to be fine. Our top eight, I'm just going to try to get through this really fast. Lucas Desec on Jeskai Control in, in uh, Historic. All the decks I'm going to read off are their Historic decks, but they did play standard decks, of course. Uh, Arne Hushinbeth on Jun Food. Sam Bolio on Jun Food. Bernardo Torres on Is It Phoenix. Francis, Francisco Sanchez on Jeskai Control. Santi Delgado on Orzov Oras featuring Loris. Uh, Cesar Siokalin on Jeskai Turns. And Ray Sato on Is It Phoenix? I think this is one of those tournaments where we can't necessarily focus too much on the oh, no. historic deck selection in the top eight specifically because it being a dual format event. Exactly. Who knows? I just wanted, to, call, I wanted to give these people their props for winning this, yeah. top eighting this event. Uh, so, can't, can't wait to see more from Insight Esports. Insight yeah. Esports, get at us. Let's talk. I, yeah. I, I want to know who's behind this organization. I don't even know if we know who's out there. Who is this? <laughs> Let's. Well, Do we know? You know we, we've got we've got communication methods on the internet. I think we can find this out. Tweet us. So quickly, I think the main thing I wanted to talk about here is kind of a closing this out is that the pairs the players that are paying attention here to historic are clearly coalescing about around like five decks or so in Ezid Phoenix, Jeskai Control, Jeskai Turns. Selesnia Company, and the old classic of Yund Food. I think this isn't great news for small creature decks mm-hmm. right now. Like these, these are all decks that you are not really happy to see. Izzy Phoenix has so much just like, you know, little little removal in the, the shock effects or the, um, what's that command? Prismari you know, command? All these things. Yeah, Prismari command. Thank you. So all, the, all these decks I think are going to feast on things like gruel aggro they're going to feast on any kind of you know smaller creature deck besides maybe something like rogues because that offers some interaction of course but man uh these decks are definitely i think fighting for the top spot in the meta right now but we'll see yeah I'm, i was looking at the lorehold deck it's it's all mythics <laughs> sweet that's actually great for arena i know right it, it it's a lot of mythics so it's it's weirdly craftable especially if you already have just guy control Hmm. I don't know if I want to spend my time playing either one of those decks, but uh, I will consider it. Yeah. Well, that was fun. Good job, Shane. 
I mean, I, th- I think I think historic's in a in an interesting spot right now. I think we'll have to watch the next tournaments and and you know the meta on ladder and things like that to see if Izzy Phoenix is actually worthy of this quarter of the top meta spot. But you know, I think it's time for me to sleeve this thing up digitally. Well, it's going to have to start trying to beat people who are also playing Relic of Progenitus. And even though we just talked about how graveyard hate isn't the end all be all against Phoenix, Relic's still good. And who knows what else Historic Anthology 5 is going to do to the format. You know, maybe those yeah, court point. homunculus decks finally going to take over. But until then, let's take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to go over just a handful of Modern Horizon cards. The first batch we saw on Thursday of last week. Stay with us. And we are back. And as Stan mentioned, dive down this week, we got a nice little preview of previews in the Modern Horizons 2 dump. It was, they had a stream with the usual PR folks. Uh, and what was one a set designer on this, Stan? It sounded like there was a set designer in Blake, right? Sure. Yeah, why not? And so we, we wanted to do is since we the week after this and the following that we will have so many cards to talk about that we can't really give each card as in in talk about his card in as much depth as we will this week in fact what you can look forward to and longtime listeners might remember our coverage of modern horizons one we're going to go through every single card in modern horizons two full set review two episodes we will likely have a guest for one or two of those episodes probably just one but we're going to be thorough or, you know, as thorough as a card deserves to be. If it's bad, we're going to exactly. call it that. Yeah, but we well, are going we'll to, try to. We'll try to. We're going to do a limited resources style review every card type. Yeah. Sh- couple of shows. All right. But since, like I said, we only have a few cards this week, we can go into more depth. And the first one we, I think, requires a little conversation in depth. And that is Grief, a mythic at two black black. An elemental incarnation. So all you incarnation tribal deck fans out there have something to add to it. It has menace. When grief ETBs target opponent reveals their hand, you choose a non-land card from it. That player discards that card. Okay. Uh that doesn't sound that great. Oh, wait, it has evoke. Exile a black card from your hand. It's also a three-two. So if you don't know what evoke is, it's basically an alternate casting cost that gives you an effect, but then the creature itself is then sacrificed when it ETB. So basically you can cast grief for its evoke cost of exiling a black card from your hand. It ETBs, you get the reveal their hand, choose an online card, discard it thing, but then you have to put a sacrifice grief trigger onto the stack as well. And that gives you some interesting options for doing something with grief while the sacrifice trigger is on the stack. Yeah. Now, before we get into everything you can do with this card, let's take a minute to go through the nostalgia lens for a second, because of course, grief is an allusion to unmask. That's right. Yeah. By the way, I went back to Mercady masks. This Mercady masks has the best art. Like why does magic not look like masks anymore? It is so good looking. Mm. Just an amazing set. Hmm. This is the set that made me quit playing magic the first time for the most part. It's, it's a weird set. It's like weird. when you look at, so like, yeah, what, I'm just going to interrupt Dave. Dave, can I interrupt <laughs> you? 
You already have, um, so okay. Yeah, you're right. Well, but didn't like, Dave originally interrupt Shane? We've got dreams within correct. dreams of interruptions here. Well, so what, I, Dave? I want you to actually go on beyond this. But the, one of the ideas of Mercadian masks is that there's a bunch of alternate casting costs, right? And like alternate, like there was different casting costs based on like a, a board state or like something that a land you controlled or something like that. Yeah, I mean, Mercadian mask was mostly magic trying to step down after almost being destroyed by Urza's block. Like a lot of people have acknowledged that there's a lot of super bad cards in it. And of course, for this era, there's also a few cards that are just really, really powerful. Somehow, you know, things like Rashad and Port, for example, which was, yeah. And Gush, which Rashad and Port was like a, you know, it was like a $70 card in standard in like, you know, 2001 or whenever Mercadian Mask came out. So it's, um, yeah, we're going to see a card that references that. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe in a minute. Yeah. All right. So anyway, so this is unmask on a staple to a creature, which of course is always like a fun nostalgic thing. But whenever they staple a really good spell to a creature, there's things that happen as a result of that. And so what can you do when you evoke grief, for example, especially since it doesn't cost any mana to do it? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. So here's kind of a very realistic scenario that everyone's talking about. Everyone. is very much interested in this particular combo. So you could, um, the combo with ephemerate Mm -hmm. with evoking this creature. This is a very, this is a very common deck building trope and strategy in uh, popper. If you cast an evoke creature, I mean, if you cast a creature with evoke for its evoke cost, you put that sacrifice trigger on the stack and ephemerate it single white mana, instant speed, gets around that sacrifice effect and gets you grief back on the battlefield with another ETB. And then of course, ephemerate rebounds on your next turn, which gives you another use of grief at that point. So that means that on turn one, you could effectively get two cards out of your opponent's hand. And then on your second turn, you get to do it again uh, getting a, another card out of their hand, mm-hmm. which is very powerful. I mean, this got ephemerate banned in Popper. Uh, Mickey reminds me in chat. Yeah, this is that's absurd. <laughs> and Just this is much better. This is absurd. much better than the the combos that were we were being played. Like they were doing like Moldrifter combos or something like that, right? Or what, like uh, um, Morn, Mornwelk or something like that. Like where these evoke costs are four mana or three mana, right? And this is zero mana. Yeah, so this is going to turn grief and an ephemerate and a black card from your hand into a creature and discard three cards. Is what you're telling me? Yeah, I mean that's fully feasible. Cool, and it's it's not Thanks. too hard to imagine. Like especially because like um, it's it's a three two, which means if it's on your if if your opponent goes first, right, and they happen to know what you're on or something like that, or maybe they're just holding up interaction, like they're holding up a uh, lightning bolt or they're holding up a path to exile or something like that. They can interact with it on the, like with ephemerate and the trigger on the stack of course. where, yeah, yeah they, so like you, you're not going to be able to target your grief or something like that. Right. And, but that's the, the best case scenario mentality here. The ceiling is quite high mm-hmm. and very cheap. So it's not like it's absurd to imagine this happening. Yeah. I mean, if you play this against a non-interactive deck, for example, in modern, if you play this against Titan, let's say like they're not, they can't kill interact with this, this combination game one. 
Like you're just going to no. do this and then take three cards from them and you get to pick them. It's like th- it's three thought seasons like that. Is, that is wild. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of it's easy to sort of call it magical holiday land. Right. But I think that there's enough people who like playing these style of decks. Hey, it's an inclusive podcast, Dan. OK, magical. Uh, I, I think there's land, enough people, please. <laughs> there's yeah. people who like playing ephemerate decks. There's people who are going to want to play this card. They're going to try to mess with this synergy. And this is one of those cards that, to me, for its face value without Ephemerate, does not seem like a great card. I don't think this is like a playable modern card. What do you think, Dave? I mean, I think this kind of thing could be playable just because it's a zero-cost Thoughtseize. I mean, it costs two cards, but sometimes you really want to make sure you do that. Yeah, like a combo deck, Living End or something. You mull so hard in modern sometimes that if you can, can, what if you do this and then thought sees somebody on their first turn where they mold to like, well, they mold to five or six and you just get their good cards right away. You, it, you get their cathartic effect. You get the, yeah. the, the map, you get the Sylvan scrying. It puts them at a, I mean, it puts you at a disadvantage too, like just card advantage wise, but like modern isn't always built around card advantage. You know, it's often built around synergy and this could be really disruptive for that. Um, I don't know. This this does seem like it's it's a card that outside of just ephemerate shells that might just be the thing that just abuse this card. Um, there might be places just play this for more straight value. Yeah, the potential concerns me. I it's 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 on my broken or useless poster board right now. But you might be right, Dave, that there's something in between. I think this is just broken or value personally, but um, we'll see. Stan, what do you, you haven't had much to say about this. What do you think about this card? I agree with everything you said. Oh, great. I'm just kind Next. of reserving judgment. It looks like it's going to be a powerful cycle. It's, it's easy to get, you know, super zoned in on a single powerful card, but we're going to have a set full of powerful cards. So I'm trying to remain open-minded and rather than think about it specifically as useless or broken, get excited about the potential and hope that there's other cards that are doing other crazy stuff for free. Um, Thanks to evoke or maybe other mechanics. So what makes you excited about, about that? Because I think that the way that this cycle is going to work, I, I think that the cycle is going to be all evoke the other masks cards. Uh, not necessarily. I think it's going to be all evoke creatures that mm-hmm. lets you discard a card from your hand to do their come, come into play yeah. abilities. So it's going to be a bunch of mull drifters that let you discard to do it instead. So what, I mean, what are you excited about there? You, do you think there's possible that there's one that's better than this? Do you think there's one, even ones that will be playable. Is the red one just going to be bad? Are they all going to be mythics? Like, what do you, what does this get you excited about? It makes me think of the, uh, one color, the three mana cards from modern horizons. One like season pyromancer and uh, ranger captain of Aos. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't remember if there were cards in other colors, if that was a cycle, just because those two are the ones that continue to see play. I, I kind of think there weren't, but maybe there were, doesn't matter. It's just fun. I, I I think free spells are fun and exploring that territory and looking for ways to abuse that is what modern is partially about, right? That's the sort of thing I want to explore and experiment with in this format because we don't get to do that in other formats. And that's one of the things that I think makes it unique. And if we're going to explore that design space, whether or not those cards are as po- po- powerful as this one, that doesn't matter to me. I'm just... I'm just excited for the potential for now. And this, I agree, this looks good. Whether or not you're always going to have Ephemerate is unlikely. Whether or not it's going to want to be in a deck with Ephemerate that can actually utilize that blink ability on anything else also remains to be seen. But yeah, let's I see think, what happens. 
I think you made a really great point just now, though, Stan, where you said free cars, free spells are fun. And modern is, is the only place where you get to, they're fun to play. They're terrifying for balance, but modern is the only place where we're going to explore that space right now. Most likely, right? Like it's really unlikely that this kind of stuff is going to come up too frequently in standard or historic or pioneer, maybe historic. We'll see. You never know what's going to pop up <laughs> in an anthology, but um, yeah. So I, I like that take that we should be excited about this because this is a space that's unique to modern. Now, what I think about here is like, you know, I saw somebody talking about it might have been Saffron Olive on Twitter talking about the red one. Like, what if the red one destroyed a non-basic land? Like, is that too powerful for for a free card? Like, what, what what's the design it's, space it's, that red it's has? It's going to be the mask spells. It's going to be the mask spells. I I will I will give you five. I will, what I will, are the mask spells? It's, okay, so it can't be all of them, can it? <laughs> the white. Well, no. I mean, the mask. The the cycle of exile a card are the same of the same color. It's going to be all so, the same as those five. So, yeah. So like so the white one. I mean, they're very they're very well balanced for modern. Like and, and also bad in the colors you expect them to be. Like white is reverent mantra. It's an instant that you could exile a white card and give your creatures protection from a chosen color until end of turn. Blues is misdirection. It changes the uh-huh. color of a, changes the target of a spell. It's misdirection. Okay. Yeah. So I think I think that there's like I think that that that, that would not surprise me fully if they were just straight up creatures with the Mercadian masks like uh, rare exile effect cycle. Okay. I don't think there's a reason for them to be exactly those, but maybe. Um, well, I think they've, I think they're clearly in, they're referencing Mercadian masks already in a few cards. I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of lean in pretty hard on that unless yeah, they're, the spell is bad. Cause everyone is here for Mercadian masks. <laughs> Nostalgia. This card's good. This card, this, this card's good. It's, I mean, this, this card has, I think provoked the most conversation uh, in the community. So I think it's good that we gave it this much time. I think the rest of the cards are nowhere near as interesting, unfortunately, besides maybe one Stan, what's next. It's a reprint, a new to modern card. It's a land. It's called cabal coffers. You can pay two and tap it two colorless tap it and add one black mana for each swamp you control. And that's it. Real quick. What's Grief up, Dave? Is pre-selling on Card Kingdom right now for one $199, but it is it is marked out of stock. So I, I don't think they have this stuff worked out yet. Anyway. Look at TCG next. Cabal Coffers. <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a like a really popular commander card, right? Like it's like a $70 card, $75 card, something like that. This was a hugely powerful card, of course, when it existed in standard in Torment. Yeah. Um, this was a card that I remember being like, they did what? now <laughs> there are some drawbacks to this card right like stan are mentioned, there yeah there's one or two uh it makes no mana by itself <laughs> it, okay it, it in fact requires at least two other mana sources to make any mana at all and even if you have two other lands and they're both swamp types it only makes two mana out of three lands so it doesn't I do love, anything by itself i love that you think these are drawbacks well, what a, a land making no mana that seems very bad but then in other scenarios this is a land that makes you know six mana for three and then you get to you get to ramp in black like yeah but what do you, so what you kill one so i'm not saying that there needs to be a deck that exists in modern to make use of this i don't think there's any great mono black decks that i'm thinking of is this good enough to make a deck built around it like the ostensible use here is what what like a mono black or like some kind of you know, rampy deck where you also can run a bunch of swamp land types and then be able to take advantage of that late game. 
So it's worthless early and high value late in a, in a format with tons of land destruction. Yeah, but you run this with like, you run this with Urborg and suddenly it taps for mana itself, right? Sure. You And then Urborg taps for mana. And then you got to figure out what you're going to do with like a mono black control deck of some kind generally is what this card is for. Um, I don't think there's like a combo out with this, but like, what if this is a card that's just supposed to ramp you to like Grizz- Grizzlebrand early where you just hard cast Grizzlebrand and do good stuff with it? Like there's, this is, this is a powerful card. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a brewer who's, who's going to be able to tell you all the ins and outs of this, but like, this is really was a card that I was surprised to see pop up in the set as one of the cards they decided that it was okay to put into modern. Mm-hmm. This is really a commander plant to sell more packs. IMO. I, I do not think this sniffs legitimate modern play. But I'm fine being wrong, as I always say. Yeah, I'm looking at who plays it in Legacy, and like it'll pop up in decks with crop rotation. So mm-hmm. I think it's like it has like literally no play in any format of Commander. I looked, I, almost none. I mean, I'm looking at MTG Top Eight last year Legacy tournament came in first place in a Nick Fit deck. But I think what you want is the ability to actually manipulate your lands. Like I, I don't think you just play this with. A bunch of swamps i think you play this with like maybe a sylvan scrying or uh, a map effect to actually get le- specific lands maybe abundant harvest i don't know how about elvish reclaimer or elvish reclaimer yeah i i, I think yeah. like you could maybe put together a lands deck that uses this to cast tron pieces or you know other ramp targets yeah i mean i just think this is a powerful card and I guess we'll see where it goes. I definitely think it's also a commander plant, though, to help sell more packs. Like, I think t- multiple things can be true. Uh, yeah. I don't think this is a card that's going to break modern. Like, it's not outwardly powerful in modern, but I think it's a cool and interesting piece to have access to for a bunch of decks that I would never play. Like, I don't see myself playing any of the decks that this ends up in, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Next card. <laughs> Yo, it's, 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 now it's, we're it's, scraping. It's, it's, is it? Aye, aye, aye. It's Usury, Fortune's Flame, one blue-red for a legendary Ifrit. It's a 2-3 flyer, and whenever it attacks, choose a number between 1 and 5. Your 2s, your 3s, your 4s, your 1s and 5s as well. You flip that many coins, and for each... At once, you have to. (laughs) With all, all five fingers, you draw... For each flip you win, you draw a card. That seems good. For each flip you lose, it deals two damage to you. That seems bad. If you won five flips this way, you may cast spells from your hand this turn without paying their mana cost. That seems good. It's also your buy a box promo. That seems... No, it's your bundle promo. If you buy a 10-pack bundle, you get one of these for free. Oh, have they done that before? Bundle promos? I don't remember that. I noticed that I noticed that uh, Chicagoland Games slash the Dice Dojo was selling bundles, though. So that's cool to see. Yeah. So you can get the new new fat packs, a guaranteed usury fortunes flame, Dave. Yeah, I'm I'm thrilled for that. I mean, I don't know. I've never I've never got a a bundle, so I I haven't heard of that before. But anyway, I I don't know if this card is good. Um, I don't know. Like I like a Fritz. One of my favorite cards, seriously, one of my favorite cards from my original two or three magic was Frenetic Afrit, which is also one you are. That's a coin flip card as well. Um, I just don't know if there's a way to play this card for value in a way that you really want to do it. I think a good rule of thumb for competitive modern is that if you need Clark's thumb to be good, don't <laughs> don't go down that road. 
Well, I don't think, I think having the uncertainty of any, there's already enough uncertainty built into magic. So having a card that adds more uncertainty to it when it comes into play is sketchy, you know? Yeah. I'm so. uncertain when anyone would play this card. Looks bad. The math is bad. Right. And it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't do anything on ETB. It has no haste. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the rare I'm going to open like seven of. Oh, for in sure. My one box, right? For sure. I mean, I do think that there maybe is a maybe there's a world where I mean, let's think about like what's the best case scenario for this? Not best case scenario. Like if we're trying to use all the pieces of the buffalo, right? Like, yeah. would we ever play this card in like shadow where we're like okay with taking damage sometimes and okay with not taking damage sometimes? Like that doesn't seem like a total fit. I wonder if you when you play this card, you really choose two and just are okay with drawing something between, you know, taking 25% chance of drawing uh, a card uh, and taking damage, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's basically 50% chance of taking a card and taking damage, drawing two cards or taking four damage and like, just, just being like, that's fine. But even that doesn't seem powerful enough for modern. If it had haste, it would all, it would be like, okay, I might give this a shot because I can try to attack and divination off of it on the same turn. That's the thing that seems weird is like, I feel like this would be modern horizons power level with haste mm-hmm. and without haste, it's really bad. Like it would be like an interesting effect that probably wouldn't even be that good with haste. And I think without it, it's nigh unplayable. Yeah. I, when I read this card, I was like, ooh, and is it rare? But I was pretty turned off pretty fast. But I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I know there's some people in the Slack who were pretty excited about it. We'll see what happens. Here's another blast from the past. It's Flame Tongue Yearling. Are you even allowed to read this card, Stan? Is this, isn't this much before both of your and my times? This you was around when I first learned to play Magic. But Dave, you, really? you do have a silkier voice. I'd love to hear you pronounce the you name of the card. Read Flame Tongue Yearling. It's a Kavu. Everybody loves Flame Tongue Kavu. Uh, limited, all-star, archetypical card within limited format. This riff on it is multi-kicker two, and it says Flame Tongue Yearling enters the battlefield with a 1-1 one, one counter on it for each time it was kicked. Plus one, plus one counter, that is. When Flame Tongue Yearling enters the battlefield, it deals damage equal to its power to target creature. Cool. I yeah, think so Flame Tongue Kavu is better. I mean, well, hold on. Let's explain what Flame Tongue Kavu is. So Flame Tongue Kavu is what? Three generic and a red for a 4-2 that does four yeah. damage to something yeah. when it comes it's into like, play? It's like one of the original 1-8-7 creatures, mm, which is like... It's not. It's not well, at okay. all. Well, no. What? What? It's one of, like, one of the more like... What's well, like a Necrotal type it's thing. One right? of the, it's one of the best ones, but it's not yes. one of the original ones. It's from a later It's from a later set. Well, it's, well okay. Hold on. Necrotal I mean, Dave. and, and Thank Man you, of Dave. War are the, Thanks, the first Dave. ones. Thanks, Dave. Hey, come I on. understand. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I did say original. What I meant is like the prototypical. Yeah. Like the one that people know about, the one that like everyone has in their cube, the one that everyone knows about playing in limited. Yeah. Because it's very good at what it does. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's a, it's a, th- yeah. Three and a red for a four, two deals for damage. Mm-hmm. This is a lot. This is pretty safe. Like that multi kicker is very safe, isn't it? Like you have to pay two to make it into a three, two. So it's like a four mana three, two that deals three damage. And that's like fine for limited, but I don't really see, I, I'm, I'm sorry for being so negative in this episode, but I don't really see where this goes. I don't see what, what home this has in modern right now. Is it Ponza? I doubt it. I, I don't know. I look at this and go, is there a little potential, but I guess it doesn't, it doesn't scale fast enough. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, the, it's a very safe scaling effect. Like paying two for that multi kicker is brutal. Yeah, I, I I do not like that. If you're paying the uh, flame tone kabu cost, it's not even as good as that. I do think that being able to pick off creatures is interesting, but the fact that it's like a kabu and it's not a necessarily meaningful creature type either, I think, kind of is points against it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's fine to spoil this card as a, hey, we're going to be doing more throwbacks. Here's a cool throwback. You're going to love playing this in limited. Uh, enjoy. It doesn't have to be a constructed playable card. Uh, Modern Horizons 2 is every all as many things for as many players as possible. I love that. Cool. I love that take. In fact, let's stop talking about it. Yep. Up next, we have a mythic Thrasta Tempest's Roar. It's <laughs> 10 green green. That doesn't seem modern playable for a legendary dinosaur. It, oh, it costs three generic mana less colorless mana. Yes, colorless. No, generic. Three generic mana less to cast for every each other spell cast this turn. It also has trample and haste and tramples over planeswalkers. My new yes. favorite. Uh, I guess that's a key keyword keywords. Um, it can deal excess combat damage to the controller of the planeswalker it's attacking. So if you attack uh, some stupid Jace and deal four damage to it and you attacked for seven, then you can deal three to its controller. So cool. Also, more more keyword soup. Uh, Thrust to Tempest Roar has hexproof as long as it entered the battlefield this turn. So it has single turn hexproof. It is a seven seven. All right, this is like the true broken or useless card, right? Like, oh yeah. Let's do let's do some math here. For this to be better than some other like huge trampling haster with other keywords that are kind of that exist out there, this has to cost what like four green green at the absolute most, right? Which is two spells being cast before it that turn, and still having four green green left around to cast it. Like the the floor seems dangerous in modern right like it doesn't i mean the floor is really bad like the floor is quite bad uh and, but, and when you're talking about the floor you just mean the floor is it's 12 mana it's a 10 it's a, yeah the, the floor is that's a 12 mana card yeah that's a 7 7 kind of just haster green thing that we've done a million times it's not like it even has like can't be countered anything like that um i i really don't i don't know where this goes in modern because you if like what do you what do you how are you going to have that much mana? How are you going to be able to cast two spells reliably? So, okay, here's one thing. We, I think we need to be careful, and I, I'm speaking to myself as much as I am to Shane. We can't only judge cards by where they go in today's modern. Okay, well, like, where where would they go? Not necessarily, oh, does this fit in the Primeval Titan decks? It's more like, how would you build a deck to support this card? And I don't know. I think that you are missing this card the same way you missed on Stormwing Entity. A hundred percent. Uh-huh. Shay just lifted up his glasses. So you 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 cast a single metamorphose. Yeah, and then cast this and it's great. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I look, I think that there's so let's talk about a card that's underplayed in modern mm-hmm. right now. And that card is Burning Tree Emissary. Okay. And so sure. if you put this in a deck with Burning Tree Emissary, Metamorphose, Gut Shots, uh some of your other friendly Bobble. cheap mental misstep bobble uh you can't taxi and pro you can't play mutagenic in this one you you can i guess but it it won't get the bonus as much but um 
you know, I think you put this with Swift Spear and those kind of things and try like a red green prowess esque kind of build and see what happens. I think it's totally on the menu. Like this card is not that hard to get out on turn four. It's not that hard to get out on turn three. This is what I people say about Chandra's Incinerator, though. And like Chandra's Incinerator went nowhere fast. Yeah, this is better than Chandra's Incinerator. Right, because Chandra's Probably. Incinerator expects you to, to play a specific kind of spell. Like it wants you to right. play burn spells. This counts for any spell. Yeah, so you can play Bauble, Burning Tree, Emissary, and Manamorphose. That's 12 cards in your deck that help combine this whole thing. Two, one that draws a card, one that the other one draws a card on a future turn. So I, I think there's a lot going on here with being second, able to use this. Dave. Bobble, mm-hmm. Burning Tree, Emissary, Manamorphose, and this is a three drop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's something. That's something. I mean, that's like, we're talking about Phoenix type of how easy it was to get Phoenixes out of the yard that people didn't see at first when Guilds of Ravnica was spoiled. And it's yeah, and I, I don't think it's a guarantee. Yeah. And I don't think it's a guarantee to be clear, Shane, but I do think that this is the type of card where you're like, you're, you know, this is a synergy card. I think that it, it, it having haste and having hexproof, the turn it comes into play is a huge deal. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a closer for some kind of weird, maybe bushwhacker deck, or I, I don't even know what all the possibilities are, but there are 12 cards that help power this out for sure that are good playable cards in modern. Well, I mean, hey, you you know that I would love to cast this card. No, you know that I would. I would love this card to be good. This is not a or, card for you. Why would I not like this card? Because you don't like you don't like prowess already. You don't like. <laughs> The, these types of cards already like here, so here's, here's here's why i don't like this card is because i don't want to have to it's like is the, the the juice in the squeeze you know is the juice worth the squeeze on this card it's like the do i want to have a 10 green green top deck you know what i mean it's a, but at the same time do you want to have a storming enemy top deck and it's a lot easier to cast a storming enemy naturally than it is to cast this yeah true yeah, Storming Enemy is, is way, way, way better fail case than this. So maybe you're, it's not in a deck where you play all, the full play set of these, but maybe we're going somewhere else where there's a like big prowess shell or big spells matter shell with creature payoffs that happens. And uh, I think this card is a part of of that whole thing. Um, one thing I would say about this card, too, to keep in mind, is it doesn't die to fail push. <laughs> it does not. doesn't die to Skyclave Apparition. Both or, of which are things that are important about Storming Entity as well. Doesn't die to Dismember. Oh, yeah, and then it doesn't die to Dismember. That's true. That's that's giant as well. So I mean, can we also just appreciate Trample Over Planeswalkers as like the coolest line of text on a card in a long time? We can yeah. and will. But this is a card for me, and I'm sorry that I had to leave the room for a minute and come back in the middle of shame being like, but what's the floor of this card? <laughs> Thank you, Dave. The floor that's is a good, good impression. The floor is not great. But this card is sweet. It's a sweet card. Yeah. Sweet card. Next card. Unmarked Grave. It's a rare one in the black sorcery. Search your library for a non-legendary card. Put that card into your graveyard. Then shuffle. Notice that that's the new way that they say shuffle your library. I like it. It's very Mm -hmm. clean. Mm -hmm. Just clean that up. Only the legendary have names on the gravestone, I guess. Which I think is interesting flavor. The non-legendary have the unmarked grave. Dave. Dave, is this an entomb effect? <laughs> yeah, I get that right. <laughs> That's what I would call this. Yeah, yay, good job. Entomb effect. The only entomb effect. Well, one of the only cheap entomb effects in modern, right? I think it's literally the only one. I, I don't think there's very many other ones at all. At all, right? I don't know. There's almost nothing that so. searches stuff in your graveyard that people play. 
And um, search for stuff and then puts it in your graveyard. You mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, search, yeah, search for stuff put in your graveyard that people try to play. And you know, it's part of it's because Entomb is such a good card because it incentivizes Reanimator so much. Sure. So they kind of put a little bit of a shield in there because a lot of the stuff you want to reanimate is legendary, right? Yeah. Although I just realized I've read this card like ten times and I just real realized that it is non legendary card and yeah. not non legendary creature. That was very surprising to me. Yeah. Well, what that it says card or creature that it says card and not creature because that does open up a possibility to use this as kind of a toolbox and like an artifact style deck or, yeah. or other things that I haven't hadn't thought about too much yet. Yeah, I feel like the fact that it's a non legendary protects us a little bit. And I think that's the kind of thing where it's like we know what some of the most broken stuff to get to put into your graveyard is. So let's try to, you know, protect ourselves from that. Yeah, I. I'm sure that there are some there there's a list of targets out there somewhere that's like the top of the top of the line. But um this card seems seems reasonably good to me. It's probably a new style of deck to modern that we don't really have at the moment. But I mean it's it's so much safer than Entomb. Like Entomb's instant single black mana. This is sorcery speed, one in a black, non-legendary card. So it's just it's it's definitely different, and they're definitely sort of making it cost in a manner that is going to make it a lot harder to be broken yeah. or even abused. Mm. Yeah. Maybe get a skeletal with this thing. I don't know. I mean, how many how many of these things are you for example in a theoretical deck that used this card? I mean, would this be a one of in a deck where you're running a bunch of unearths and a bunch of three drops and you're just kind of like occasionally you bring this up to be able to toolbox your way through the end of it. It's kind of like a mini quarter calling thing. Claim like, to fame. Yeah. Yeah, you play it with claim fame occasionally. Like, I don't. You could also maybe play it in a Luris deck. You know, just like <laughs> to tutor stuff for Luris to draw. This is all one deck, right? I mean, a deck that plays Unearth, Claim Fame, and Luris and Unmarked Grave. Maybe it's Arcanist. I I don't know. It seems it seems like reasonable to have around. Shane, does it dredge? No, it does not dredge. You would never. Yeah, this doesn't put enough cards in to be able to really get you going. But it could put a dredger on in your art. Yeah, but I mean, if that's if I'm not running this card to put a single dredger in my graveyard, it's like you know, man, I really hope I can get one dredger in my graveyard type thing to start a chain. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be enough to just go draw. to just go get stinkweed imp. Be like, you're sure you're always going to have the one that dredges five? Yeah, just not a chance. Not a chance this gets dredged. Yeah, I think this is for other for other stuff. But all right, here's one we alluded to earlier. It's a new card. It's called Rishadon. Dockhand. Rashadon. Yeah. Thank you. I I could hear myself mispronouncing it. That's okay. <laughs> it's a creature merfolk, single blue mana for a one-two. It has island walk, and it also has one tap, tap target land. I told you, and I've said many times how much I hate Rashadon Port, right? Like, it's one of my least favorite cards. <laughs> just because it's so disruptive. I mean, it was just, it was a confluence of all the things. It was the best card in a bad set. It was a crazy expensive rare in standard. It led to really unfun games. And uh, now it's a zillion dollars, or it was a zillion dollars. It's less now that it's been reprinted a little bit. But I don't really know what to think about this card. This just seems like a fun card for limited to me, I guess. But then I saw it was a rare, which made me think a little bit that they might think it's good. It's an interesting way for Merfolk to interact on another level. To mana denial strategy for Merfolk, kind of. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like a more part of the spreading seas thing. Like it's, 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 I think it's cool for Merfolk because Merfolk was clearly, as we remember in our testing, cool, but not busted. So this gives, I think Merfolk, which doesn't have a great amount of one drops in the mono blue version either, gives Merfolk a useful one drop that adds to the disruptive package and also can be pumped with Lords and get through with the Island walk and be part of like a spreading seas you know, tap down their mana type thing. I think it gives Merfolk another tool for the toolbox and why not? It hasn't like, isn't like Merfolk has gotten amazing in the past five years. Love it. Let's hope it works. Yeah. Other than that pass. Thanks for the nostalgia, but no thanks. Dave, what's this next Uh, card? Next card, profane tutor. Profane tutor has the best art I've seen in the set so far. Oh if I'm going to be honest, so good because it's Richard Kane Ferguson, which is, uh, this really just looks like a card from Mirage to me, which I feel like was part of the time that he was very, very into it. Um, he was very into magic at least. So profane tutor is a suspend two sorcery for a generic and a black search your library for a card, put that card into your hand that shuffles. So it is demonic tutor with suspend. But uh yeah, I don't know. I don't <laughs> yeah, know about this card. I don't think just this like card- that as foretold is like $22. Oh, did did it cause ad for, as foretold to spike? Yeah, yeah, it spiked again. I think there was a rumor that there was going to be suspend in the set and as foretold had a little bit of bump and then now that we know it's suspend and a card as good as profane tutor, it's going to be in the set as foretold has continued to spike. Yeah. I don't know. It's so tough, so tough for me these days. Like we were just talking about how unmarked grave was maybe okay. And it costs two mana, but, um, contorting yourself so hard to get a demonic tutor effect is like kind of weird to me. And I guess the difference to me between unmarked grave and profane tutor, for example, or a demonic tutor effect is that, you know, a card that you get into your hand, you generally still have to pay some kind of mana cost to go with it. Now, as we're told, you know, helps you cheat with that kind of stuff, but that's the setup cost of cheating in unmarked grave. You know, a lot of times you're going to end it with a card like that in a deck that's full of synergies meant to take advantage of the graveyard. So the graveyard's almost a better place for a card to go to than your hand is sometimes. Uh, I don't know. Like this card I thought was sweet, but I was kind of like, I don't know if it's really going to get there. Do you play tutors for value? I feel like tutors, you only use them to set something up. So in, in like, let's talk about like in older formats, I think it, back in the day you could play a tutor for value, I guess is what I should say. You don't really see it. I don't feel like you see it too much these days in older formats, but um, now I think you really play tutors for combo pieces more than anything else or like a really specific payoff or card. Yeah. Um, but I also wonder if part of that's because our tutors aren't that good. See, I think that the thing is, when you have a deck that is full of absolute all time, all powerful cards, a tutor gets better. But in a deck where you can't run, like the card quality isn't everything is broken all the time, you know, then they're less powerful. And so that's why they end up in synergy strategies instead of just value strategies a lot. Mm-hmm. But I, I, but I don't know. I mean, I want this card to be interesting. Yeah. I just don't think it is. I wonder if it's if we're if it's going into a theoretical as foretold deck and you can use it to maybe cast more free spells off of as foretold, if that's where it gets interesting. And yeah. Potentially pairing it with more other suspend cards, like whether it's rhinos, whether it's Oh yeah. That's car, how I see this draw. working. Yeah. 
like if this is in an as foretold, like suspend cheaty style deck, then you get the ability, like you said, Stan, which is like you get redundant copies of your other spells, right? And those can then you get then you get sort of the rule of eight of a number of cards uh, simply because profane tutor becomes uh, just a, a copy of those that can be an, any number of things, which is really nice to have the ability to do so. I think it's going to be part of decks that want to do that. And their power has always definitely been on the bubble. And we'll see if I, if, if this or other cards that maybe have the suspend keyword uh, or mechanic rather uh, will get there. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about some bad cards. Are they bad? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't think they're good. Okay. But I, I think, I think most of these cards are bad and I'm, I've been, I've been a negative, negative Shane this episode more than usual. So timeless dragon is a rare three white, white for a flying creature dragon five, five. It has plane cycling for two generic mana. Uh, you can pay two to discard timeless dragon. You then search your library for a planes card, uh, reveal it, put it in your hand and then shuffle. You then also can eternalize this card for two white, white, which makes you exile that card from your graveyard. You create a token copy of it, except it's a four, four black zombie dragon with no mana cost. Eternalize only as a sorcery. So basically what you get to create the, the ice dragon from game of Thrones instead of the, the good dragon that Daenerys is riding. Right. Have I ever told you guys how much I hate eternalize as a mechanic? I <laughs> hate so? eternalize. I hate that. It makes everything a four, four. I, it's, I just think it's so weird and counterintuitive that it does that. Yeah. Like turning, turning your one, one cat into like a four, four cat that costs like five to eternalize or something. Yeah. Or your four, four, five, five into a four, four. And so you have to remember that it's a four, four and I, I hate eternalize. I, I think it was like a medium execute it. It was okay. And I'm in cat limited, but I think for constructed, it's so, so annoying. Um, yeah. I don't know what to think of this card. I guess maybe this is a bad, bad card. I'm kind of 50 50 on it. I think it's cute that it has an onboard graveyard mechanic with a mechanic that puts it into the graveyard. Like that's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's cute. I wonder how many cards we're going to see eternalize on. It feels like probably not many, but um, what do you think, Stan? I don't think it's going to see a ton of constructed play though. It is an interesting potential control finisher. You know what I mean? Where you use it to get a land um, early and then you have, like a four, four beater. And then if you top deck it late, you have a five, five beater. And I think yeah. that's interesting. I mean, really you have two, two beaters. If you top deck it late. Right. And the cost isn't that high. Right. Right. Yeah. Like it's within the casting cost of something a control deck could do yeah. as a, as a late game finisher potentially. Yeah. But it just doesn't seem of a power level for modern to me. Like it just seemed, this seems like a really good limited yeah. card to me like i'll be i'll be excited to have this in my sealed deck or something we're gonna do sealed we're gonna do pre-release dave do some pre i get yeah. i mean not around chicago but we'll see we'll see i'll maybe i'll uh maybe i'll try it out people loved mh1 limited i didn't play a single match of mh1 limited i, did, I didn't either I, I i did a few times and it was great so let that sink in yeah well i read this final card it's deck on shadow slayer it's a mythic costs white blue black is that, th- is, that, is that Esper? That's an Esper three mana walker. Comes down with zero loyalty counters, dies on the spot. GG. Oh, there's more abilities. I'm sorry. When Dakon enters the battlefield, it comes down with the number of loyalty counters equal to the number of lands you control. So on turn three, it comes down with 
you know, at least three lands or at least three loyalty. Plus one is surveil two, minus three is exile target creature, and then minus six, you may put an artifact card from your hand or graveyard onto the battlefield. I think this card is sick. And ah. I'm I'm worried it's just gonna end up like Sarah Ascendant or Sarah Angel, the the the, the bad White Walker from Modern Horizons One. But I feel like this one has so much more utility. Just the fact that it filters your draws, it can answer other creatures. It can maybe set up like a really powerful target for um, um, Stoneforge Mystic. And it scales throughout the game. So you don't have to cast it on turn three. You can cast it later and it ends up being a lot bigger. I think it's pretty cool design. Yeah, I agree. I I, I was talking with some of the people in, in the Slack about this card. And, and I was trying to brainstorm like what a cool artifact to bring back from the graveyard of the battlefield would be once you get to a point where you can make it big enough. I don't know what that card is necessarily, but I think there's cool cards, cool things to do with this card. I think this is one of the, is this the first Esper Planeswalker? Is it one of the first ones? There's one in Commander. Mm. That was like a Commander pre-con. Yeah. Yeah, I feel kind of like medium on how good this could be and constructed in modern itself. It does. This is this one feels a little bit more like a commander plant to me in some ways, but I also don't play a lot of commanders, so I can't really talk too much about it. But I would love to see like a fun artifact reanimation strategy that goes with this. But it feels like the stuff that you can do to reanimate artifacts right now is so hyper powered because of like uh, Emery and stuff like that that. I don't know if this kind of runs in the same circle as a card like Emery does, honestly. So it doesn't get it from your library, but it can cheat something from your hand. Right. So maybe there's some kind of synergy where you can fetch an artifact or something else. I I think what you're really asking, what we're really asking is, what's the most value we can get out of that ability that isn't worth spending mana on? Yeah. So my first card that I thought of here was Blightsteel Colossus, which just used to be like an old card mm-hmm. that people would try to cheat into play. But, I, you know, I don't know if that's really the type of thing we want to do right now. And, you know, people in Slack pointed out to me that through the breach is maybe just better in that kind of scenario anyway. So why wouldn't you just play like a breach deck? So I don't know. This card is sweet. I like that it's, I like the way that it gets its loyalty. I like that it's three CMC. Mm-hmm. It's fun that it has surveil, which, um, synergizes with its minus six but a little bit of a head scratcher for me as to like where it goes and if it's really brew around a bull in a way that like urza turned out to be brew around a bull yeah that's kind of this is the type of planeswalker that i think people have been saying hey if you're going to make two mana three mana planeswalkers make them go only into certain strategies mm-hmm. and into certain ideas and this is exactly what this kind of card is and hopefully it does something neat without being urza level power and bustedness yeah we do have both blightsteel and darksteel colossi they don't see modern plan anymore but i think those are beloved cards so maybe that was perhaps like some of the design thinking is how do we get some of these old favorite staples back into this format where they're legal and just don't see any play yeah i mean one thing that would have made this card of course more powerful is if it was like you may put an artifact card from your hand to graveyard into the battlefield it gains haste until you know, it can taste or whatever, like would make this a lot more threatening as a threat on its own, but it might also make it a little too good because mm-hmm. you could just drop it on turn six, but I don't know. And looking at the difference between blight steel and dark steel, it looks like uh, you're never using it for dark steel. <laughs> yeah. Cause you can't do it. Well, no, just cause blight steel is just 
a better card. They're both indestructible, except Blight has Trample and Infect on an 11-11, and they both have that Emrakul effect, whereas if it, were to, if it were to go into the graveyard from anywhere, you shuffle it back into your library. Yeah, right. So you literally but, cannot reanimate it. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem. I think you'd have to get it, you'd have to get it from your hand out. Yeah. Cool. All right, All right, fine. So you can't use the you can't use our marked grave with this and then put it put it in the graveyard and then Dak and Black Blade it. So that's not happening. Maybe you're getting Reaper King. And then you're Reaper playing King. and then you're playing a bunch of shapeshifters. Maybe you're getting like a really cool vehicle. Just get just get a big old vehicle. Get a chariot of some I kind. I mean, is this a card that goes with unmarked grave though? Like is this like what you're doing? Mm-hmm. So that you could go and get like your Karn type silver bullets or something i don't know maybe in your really good sealed pool dave mm, perfect pull that off. i got them all together but this card cool flavor more of a head scratcher yeah yeah i guess the last thing they spoiled for us too is that there will be some old border modern horizons one reprints that that are almost not worth us talking about because they're only going to be in the collector's boosters i believe a set uh, which is a sad thing and they're only going to be foil is that correct yeah that's From what i that's so my understanding so they're so they're basically not going to impact the cost of modern horizons cards i think it's gonna be like 40 or 42 or something like that yeah of them so it's just it's it's bad news financially uh force of negation will continue to be an expensive card uh, yeah sorry i sold them all and I don't think the big the big thing here too is not necessarily for paper play, honestly, because they're they're expensive cards in paper, but they're not absurdly expensive like they are on Magic Online. And that's what I think people were really hoping for some some relief from was being able to have these in the normal packs on Magic Online so that force of negation on Moto would become cheaper. Um, and that's not gonna happen at all as a result of this. So I'm just going to ignore this. I don't care about foils. I like the old border frame, but I don't really care about it. And I'm not going to open collector boosters of premium products. Like no yeah. way. In before Dave literally does this and texts us on his drive home from a store and says, guys, I uh, bought a box of uh, collector boosters. You, you know, you, look, you know that I buy boxes of cards like on impulse. Sometimes I'll go and buy a box of cards. I will not impulse buy a box of collector boosters. No way I'm going to spend 400 bucks or whatever it is for a box of collector boosters on impulse. What if you suddenly come into a lot of extra money, though? I just I hate foils is the problem. Like, I really don't like foils. I like but them they have the little star like, flourish at the bottom. Yeah, I know. They're nice, but no way. All right, let's take a quick break and let's wind down with some listener questions. We got a bunch of great ones, including one from a fellow podcast host. I'm excited to kick off with that one. We'll be right back. Stay with us. All right, we haven't done these in a long time. I'm excited to get through some listener questions. Let's try to get through as many as we can because we got... A bunch of great ones. And as I mentioned, one came from a fellow podcast host, the one and only Cave Dan, CEO of Faithless Brewing Industries, asked us a question about Modern Horizons 2. He writes, my friend is convinced that Modern Horizons 2 is a, quote, cash grab, a critique he also aims secret lair and the like. Mm -hmm. Is Cave Dan's friend right? And also, what does cash grab mean anymore, given the current shape of Magic the Gathering? Shane, given your current mood, how do you feel about the cash grabbiness of Wizards and Modern Horizons 2? That's capitalism, baby. Yeah. I mean, mean, this is, I mean, that's, this is, Magic is as a cash grab. 
from Watsy by making stuff that people find interesting in a continual fashion that, that keeps us all engaged in the game and wanting to uh, participate in it, which requires us to purchase new product in order to stay up to date with uh, relevant decks, trends, and strategies in modern pioneer and historic. I mean, I mean, what, like the fact that it requires effort to make it like a secret layer requires, I think a lot less effort and I'm not trying to put down the artists that make the art and all that kind of cool stuff. Like that's a lot of effort, but the effort into a full modern horizon set with new art, with a limited environment built around it, with all that kind of stuff is more effort than a secret layer. You could say maybe a secret layer is just a cash grab because it's just new art on some product that is limited. Uh, Modern Horizons 2 is a full-fledged set that required a ton of effort to make uh, and think about and integrate and test, and therefore uh, I think is worth paying for. Yeah, I mean, I think, think about all the inner, I mean, look, I'm not trying to defend, look, these are all cash grabs, okay? (laughs) Wizards is trying to figure out how to make the most money in some sense with the least amount of effort, let's say, and that's not, a knock on them. You know, what they're trying to do is go like, Hey, what's the thing that we do the best that people get excited about? And how can we do more of that across more ways to get more people excited about it? It's, it's just how product design works. Right. And yeah, I, I mean, think about the entertainment value that we get out of modern horizons too. And all the time that they put into it. Like we have spoiler seasons. We get to talk about it on the show. We get to listen to podcasts. We get to talk to each other about it. We get to buy the cards. We get to be excited about the cards. We get to open the packs and we get to play with the cards. None of that's to say like, again, I'm not trying to defend them for being like, we need to make more money out of these widgets, but like their worst widgets they can make. They could make us by freaking live, uh, walking dead secret layers and make them legal and modern. They have not done that yet because I think that was the worst cash grab that they've had so far. And hopefully nothing of that ever touches modern, but um, this is pretty inoffensive to me in that sense. You know, we don't know what Dan's friend is thinking. I wonder if Dan cave, his friend, Dan cave. Yeah. I wonder if that's code for Dan himself. Sure. Your friend. <laughs> right. Um, I, I, I wonder if there's this connotation when people refer to cash grabs that it suggests that it's at the expense of something else, like at the expense of format quality. And I think or low, low effort, high cost or something like that. Right. Right. And I think for modern players, we still remember what happened after modern horizons one, especially immediately after with Hogak. And I think that's something people are rightfully afraid of. And I think that's something that wizards and its designers have tried to calm our nerves a little bit and, indicated how much more testing and care went into designing the set. But do you think it's fair to be worried about something like that, which is like premium price set, they're willing to keep pushing boundaries, print breakable stuff, and then, you know, maybe people do buy cards that end up being literally useless and unplayable because they're banned in a format. Doesn't that feel like a cash grab that's a little bit less palatable? But that's not a cash grab. That's a mistake. I don't think that, I don't think that they, I don't think that they start set out going, we're going to break modern and make people spend card, spend money on cards. They're not going to be able to play six weeks from now. I think what they do is they try to make stuff that they think is, I think they have the right. I think they have the best intentions as far as a cash grab can go. I don't think that they mean to actually make people waste money on unfun experiences. That's, that's a bad scenario for them. 
And look, they didn't have to put the fetches in this set. Mm-hmm. And like by putting putting the enemy fetches in this set uh, is going to make modern more affordable for I think a larger number of people than it prices out by making them have to buy a few Modern Horizons two cards here and there. It's also potentially going to make the individual cards from Modern Horizons two cheaper than the cards were in Modern Horizons one, regardless of how good the cards are. Let's say these cards are a little less good this set because they don't mess up as much as they did in Modern Horizon one. So the cards are a little less desirable, but the fetches being in here will soak up such a significant amount of the value that yeah. they will, they'll make those cards even cheaper as a result of that. So strikes and gutters, yeah. you know, I, I but <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't think it's necessarily a cash grab. All right. I really like this next question from Ron who asks, what does death's shadow need to be historic viable? I think this one hits home for all of us because we kind of like playing shadow decks here and there. We've experimented with it in historic. It clearly isn't passing mustard now. Needs fetches. You needs fetches to get your shocks so you can fix your colors better and do more damage to yourself more reliably. I, I sometimes wonder if Street Wraith would be enough. Just give a Street Wraith some some free velocity that comes at a life cost and suddenly your shadows are a little bit more consistent. I've had good. Sure. Res- I've had. I've mentioned this a bunch of times. I've had good results <laughs> with Shadow every time I've played it. Playing it though, then I, I, I think that it needs a favorable metagame. I don't. I think that I don't know if we want to give it enough tools to make it good in the metagame that we're in right now. But I don't think that preclu- precludes it from being good in a future metagame. You know, with the cards that it has right now. Um, I think it's. I an think o- people might okay be sleeping deck. on it. I doubt I doubt there's a significant number of people who are continually ongoing testing with Shadow right. to to tune it and and make it the best deck it can be. So, and that's just kind of part of a consequence of the format ch- being so dynamic, right? Like and and I'm sure some, there's many people who are playing with Shadow, but where there's so many cards coming in all the time that it's hard to if unless you're like okay, Shadow is a good deck out of the gate and we can continue iterating on it. It's just I mean I'm surprised that the people aren't doing it because there's many people who love shadow as they do love Phoenix. And when Phoenix comes back, people are immediately like, how do I make Phoenix good? Yeah. But shadow is not, I don't think, I mean, shadow is not good in the Phoenix metagame, you know? And I, I think that that might be part of what's going on here too, is it's not, it's not great in this kind of like spells matter meta that we're in right now. I mean, maybe what shadow would need honestly is to be Grix's shadow, which means it would need access to like stubborn denial or something mm-hmm. like that. Like a one mana disruption yeah. s- spell disruption spell that it just, it doesn't have right now. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the, one of the things I think I f- feel like I notice is that in a format like historic, which doesn't have the raw speed of modern that the, some of the best decks that are creature based that stick around are the ones that can have interaction either main deck or sideboard. So like Phoenix gets access to interaction on the sideboard decks like um, rogues and decks like auras have main deck and sideboard interaction and decks like gruel can't necessarily run stuff like that, that, that really interacts with the hand interacts with the stack. And so I think that's something that you're right on Dave, which is a deck like shadow. If you can play something like summer denial or memory lapse or drawn in the lock or something like that, then maybe that's something that, as it gets better to incorporate that, then maybe it can improve its its share. Grant asks, and Shane, this question made me think of you because you kind of had to do this in, in the not-so-distant past. How do you deal with moving to a new local game store? I guess that this depends on kind of your goals of an LGS. And for me, I've 
never really gone to an LGS to build, to like be part of a community. And part of that is the frequency at which I can go is not as such where I can feel like I can really get to know people. Yeah, Shane just goes to the local game store to stomp noobs. You know, stomp some noobs, get some credit, go home uh, with like three new uh, Ultimate Guard boulders or something like that. Um, no, I, I think that it is tough. Like it's tough for me. I've moved a lot. Um, I have gone to a number of different LGSs. I've gone to LGSs when I'm visiting other towns. I and mean, you've done the same. I know Stan and I think maybe even Dave have done that where it's like I've been traveling for work. I've taken a deck and like found the game store like in L.A., and I just go and just try to be like, try to be a nice person and maybe have, have some fun games, have some fun interactions, talk to somebody and go home. My goal has always just been like, I want to get out of the house. I want to play some games of paper. Hopefully I have some fun interactions. Maybe I'll see some people I know by name, have some chit chat and then go home. But if like, if you're trying to go somewhere and you want to feel comfortable and you want to feel like you're part of a gaming community, I think that just gets it. If that's your goal, then do everything you can to try to feel out when, 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 what are the nights that are popular? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think game owners are very forthcoming, like game, game store owners, rather. We're like, Hey, uh, I'm going to call you up and I'm going to be like, how many people do you get for your modern? You know, what, what nights are popular? How many people typically show up? Because I want to, you know, I'm new and I don't want to come and have like three people, you know, type thing. And I think people are willing to help you out there. Yeah. So one of the things that Shane mentioned traveling when playing magic is one of my favorite things to do period and seeing the site seeing the world through mtg because i'm not doing that on the pro tour and one of the things that i like about magic in particular as the sort of social facilitator is that if you're playing a game of magic against a total stranger you already have something to talk to them about and you have this almost forced conversation so it creates this you know uh ability to put you in front of someone and force you to interact with them and whether your goal is making friends stomping noobs or just finding a place to play magic from time to time. I think it's easier to do that in a new city than like certain other hobbies, like maybe finding a local kickball team might be harder because all the kickball players know each other and they have their their core team. They got their shirts. They all work at the same company. I mean, this is a great thing that you're really setting me up for the thing I was going to say, Stan, which is, I think this is like a question in some ways that acknowledges that it is hard to make friends when you are an adult. (laughs) Like, let's be real honest about this. And like, (laughs) yep. It's hard to make friends when you're an adult. People make decisions to move places, to move away from their friends and do different things. And like, you got to make new friends. The only thing I would say to grant is like, tactically, how do you deal with being at a new LGS? Be super nice to everybody. Don't come in and be like the spike come in and like, don't come in and like bring your hot takes and stuff right away until you get to know some people like be nice, be affable, be a good opponent, all those kind of things. Now I didn't, I know that Grant does not need that kind of information because Grant is a super awesome person. So that aside, the main thing I would say to Grant in the context of this question is it's worth the effort mm-hmm. to lay down new roots when you're in a new city, because it is so much better for your life, life balance and your health to have friends than not. So it takes work. You have to do the work when you move, you do the work. This, then this goes out to everybody who's out there, go out and put yourself out there. Weird, weird bend there, but okay. I agree. All right. Last one. And this one is uh, really close to home. Tyga style asks, how are you guys really doing? 
Anything noteworthy in your personal lives you'd like to share with the nation or otherwise that you haven't gotten to in one of our many hilarious digressions? Man, we all have stuff going on, right? I mean, I've got a new job. It's not even new anymore. It's like seven weeks, I think. And man, going from going from being unemployed for like a number of months to having to work a fairly busy job back in the office with a commute is definitely kicking my butt. Like, I don't know how people who have to you know go to an office with a commute, have, have, have obligations, have to figure out when are you going to grocery shop? When are you going to run errands? When are you going to go to the gym? All that kind of stuff. It's just, it's hard to build all that back in when my schedule was not built around it. And it's definitely given me less podcast preparation time. And it's definitely something where it's like, I'm trying to relearn how to have a schedule. Mm-hmm. And Dave has had to do this his entire life. I don't know how he's done it. <laughs> he got a little kegerator. That the company then went out of business and now I don't have a little kegerator anymore. <laughs> oh, no. But you know, they gone. Dave, how are you doing? I'm frantic, to be honest. Like I have this job that is pretty difficult. It's pretty busy all the time. I'm in the middle of launching a couple of really big events for our company. Um and, you know, I got two kids trying to figure out how to do, how to be a good parent to them. And we're, we're selling our house. Like we just sold our house actually literally today. I think uh, I have a contract <laughs> right. that I have to sign after we get off the air. Uh, we're moving and. Uh, Not to Denver, unfortunately. It's hard. You know, I, I've been really busy. How about you, Stan? I've been doing great. I'm so relaxed. Yeah. <laughs> mm hmm. You know, this turned into work chat, and I was like you guys uh, for the last year or so, where work was tough, lots to do, not enough people. And I just got my first subordinate ever. For the very first time in my life, I have someone who reports to me, and I delegate work to them, and it's changed my life for the better. And uh, oh, yeah. I, Shane and Dave, I recommend yeah. you guys get more subordinates. I'm trying to hire, I mean, that, I'm trying to hire five people right now. Five subordinates, you mean? No, well... <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure. Why do you keep using this word? Yeah, I'm not a fan of of this particular texture that you're bringing to the conversation, Stan. Like, this is like yucking me a little bit. But yeah, I, I am working on trying to hire like five people right now, um, which is stressful on its own. Yeah, hiring is hiring is tough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I I I do. I'm glad that Tyga Style asked this question um, because I do think that we we are entering a period where I think it's life is going to get a bit more difficult for all of us than it has been maybe in the last six months or so, even maybe in the last year. And so I, I, you know, we're committed to making the show and creating the podcast, but we, we are also committed to doing something that is sane for us to do. And so you might see a little bit less preparation (laughs) coming up (laughs) on some of the shows in the immediate near term. And things like, you know, we're not grinding as many matches as a team as we were maybe six, eight months ago. And sure. I just want to be really clear with every really upfront and honest with everybody who's listening to the show about that. Like, we're still fans. We're still enthusiasts. We love talking about magic. We love playing magic. We can, can fit it in. We, we, we watch the PR streams. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and we're we, those people. And we love, we, but the, the main thing is like, you know, the show is here for us to talk with you all. And for us to talk to each other. And that's the main thing that we want to enjoy. Right. And so we might have a few less pivot tables here and there. We might have a few less like deep cut insights and deep dives on decks 
in the immediate future until we kind of work through what's going on with each of us individually. But the, um, we are going to keep making the show because this is one of our main social outlets to be with each other and to be with all oh, of yeah. you. So maybe we can find some interns sure. to make pivot tables for us. <laughs> all right. I mean, why not? I do think that wraps up this week's episode. I didn't even get to tell you guys about how I spent the weekend drafting commander legends, time spiral, Ikoria, and the popper cube. Uh, is that what you were doing this weekend? I forgot about that. That is literally what I was doing. And can I That's just say, great. I'm just going to leave this, drop this nugget, and then we can't ever speak of it. I loved drafting Commander Legends. That's loved fun. Loved it. But if you haven't yet, listener, subscribe to our podcast. Do so. Get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. Next couple of weeks, we're doing our full Modern Horizons set review. If you like what you hear, leave us a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to submit a question to a future episode of the podcast, you can tweet us at the dive down or email the dive down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can also support the show by playing Magic on MTGO using our partner, Mana Traders, to rent Magic Online cards. Use coupon code THEDIVEDOWN2021. Get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. Special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, be good to yourself, party people. We love you. And goodbye. Take care of yourself and each other. Mahalo. Mahalo.